Hello, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I've, I've got this whole intro, but I just can't help it, man. That's my sweet girl, Brooklyn, there at the end playing with those Duplo blocks. We're all thinking about it. And by all, I just mean I am. And she's so gosh darn cute, my goodness gracious. But, uh, man, I'm so glad that you guys are here. It, it, it's so good to be in church. This is my first time getting to communicate with, with actual bodies in the seats. And if you're at home, we're just so thrilled that you're, you're with us um, at home as well. Welcome to church. I, I did this last night. I don't know why I'm going to do it again. If you're in the room, could you raise your hand real quick? Just put it way up there. No reason. I just haven't got to boss you guys around in a while. So I just figured we'd, we'd do that. But I truly believe that God has a word for us. I truly believe that God wants to actually challenge us this weekend. I believe that God has something for us. And the question is not whether God's going to speak. The question is, are we going to hear and are we actually going to have the boldness to live out uh, the word of God? That, that I don't know if you guys know this, but some of it is, is just radical. Some of the things that Jesus asks us to do, I, I just have to read over and over and over. And I'm just like, God, are you serious? Is this seriously the life that you're inviting me into? And so I'm excited. Uh, just for context, though, so uh, this past Thursday, my wife, Kristen, asked me to go and check the mail. And I was like, girl, I got it. You know, like, I was like, it's as good as done. Like, I can't do much around the house. So when I get asked to do something that I know how to do, I just jump at it. I'm like, I can't do much, but I can do that. And so uh, she asked me to go get the mail. The mail's down at the, the end of the street for us. We have to hoof it a little bit. So I went and I got the key. I stuck it in my pocket and I'm off. I'm going to get this done. Uh, but the thing is, as soon as I got outside, I got this idea. Now, I don't know about you guys and, and your relationship with ideas. I pull out my phone and I've got the audio recorder and I, I press record and I'm just going around like talking into this thing like a, like a crazy person. And so I'm walking down the street towards the mailbox talking into my phone about this crazy idea about mirrors and horses and like how all those things are connected to love and, and God's mission and like, like uh, this empowering thought. Like, and I'm just going and going and going. I end up taking a couple laps, laps around uh, our neighborhood because I'm so fired up about this idea. I'm just talking like a crazy person, pacing, pacing pacing around the block a couple times. I come back to my house. I close the door. And my wife's like, where's the mail? I was like, oh yeah. I knew I was out there for a reason. I just couldn't remember in the moment what that reason was. You, you know, I wonder if anything like that's ever happened to you guys. I mean, this happens to me all the time. It could be a me thing. Like, I might need to go to the doctor and get this checked out. But I, like, end up in a room and I'm like, I know I came to this room for a reason but I can't for the life of me remember what I'm here for. But, but keep in mind, I like look my, for my cell phone when I'm on my cell phone and I've been known to like be looking for my toothbrush when it's in my hand. So, so this, this could just, just be a me thing. But I think this is something that happens to all of us. We get so distracted from there to here that we get here and we're like, wait, what was it that I was supposed to be doing? What is it that I came here for? And, and I share that with you for this simple reason. You know, in the middle of this season that we're in, in the middle of this cultural, in this world moment, and it truly is a moment. I mean, we've got a global pandemic. Uh, we've got racial reconciliation and, and injustice that's just happening wave after wave after wave. And we don't even have time to actually process the first thing because we get hit with the second thing. And we've got all this division and discord. And we're going into a political season where there's so much conversation. And then we've got natural disasters and floods. And, and we've got smoke. And we've just got all of this stuff. And my fear, if I, if I had to name it, is that the people of God would get so distracted by what's happening around them that they would forget what it is that they were sent to do. 
that we would get so distracted by the world and everything happening in it that we as Christians would forget what God actually sent us to do. You know, in 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Because God is love. So I guess my fear is that in this season of so much conversation and left and right that we would forget that we're actually supposed to be looking up. That we're actually not supposed to be sent into the world to show the world what right is. We're supposed to be sent into the world to show the world what love is. What it looks like. Because that's what God is. God is love. So if we can show the world love, we're showing the world God. And if we miss that, friends, we, we miss everything. Make no mistake, friends, we were sent to show the world love. Not just so that the people that we like could experience it, but also so that the people that we don't like could experience it. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, this is, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest and most famous sermon. And, and he, he lays out kind of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like and what it looks like for us to participate. And, and guys, it's like I was talking about at the beginning. I read some of these things. And, and I, I think there's some scriptures that we, we, we just read past and we're like, yes, I get it, but we just don't know what to do with them. And I think this is one of the scriptures. I'm just going to get to it here. It's Matthew 5. And we're going to start in verse 43. It says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? If you greet only your own people, people that are like you, what are you doing more than anyone else? Do not even the pagans do that. And then he just slides this in the end of the chapter. I love this. He just says, just be perfect. You know, it's not a big deal. Just, just, just be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, love your enemies and, and be perfect. And I don't know how that hits you, but I read that and I'm completely overwhelmed. Oh my God, are you serious? And of course we know only Jesus could be perfect. So the only way that we can even begin to live out a life like this has everything to do with the spirit of God empowering us in the world. But I've been praying all week that this wouldn't just be something that we, 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 we think, oh yeah, that's just Jesus being Jesus. This is something that's an actual invitation to people like you and like me. And it's more important than it's ever been in the world for people like us to take up this mantle that Jesus has invited us into and live this out. And so I've been praying all week um, that this passage would not just find a place in our hearts, but it would actually find a place in our rhythms of life. And, and before we get any further, I just want to continue the prayer that I've been praying this week and just take a moment of, of prayer for us. So would you mind just bowing your heads and praying with me. Holy Spirit, I admit that that scriptures like this, sometimes I understand them intellectually, but I don't know how to move towards them in reality. So God, for, for me and for those like me in this room, God, would you show us what it looks like to take a small step? God, would we start small? God, in our pursuit of this big invitation that you've placed in front of us, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would we be strengthened to our core so that we can love in ways that you love. 
God, we know that you're a God who loves first. You loved us while we were still sinners. God, you saved us. You made us alive. So God, would we, God, in the overflow of understanding of your pursuit for us, pursue others in a way that actualizes this message. God, we love you, and we don't just want to be here to, to learn. We want to be here so that we can apply what we know and live it out. God, I pray for each person watching, for each person listening, God, for each person in this room. Would you go before us? Would you till the soil? God, there's nothing I could say to change somebody's mind, but you could actually change people's hearts, God, and we believe you want to do that. And so we pray, would you change our hearts? Would you embolden us? Would you empower us through your Holy Spirit this weekend, this Sunday morning at 930? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this, this week I was thinking everybody loves a good love story. Everyone loves the Romeos and Juliets. Everybody loves the stories about risk and grit and laying it all on the line for your family and your friends. It, it, you know, one of my favorite love stories, and, and I get it, this might be an, uncond or a, a, an unconventional choice, but, but here's what it is. It's March of the Penguins. Have you guys seen this one? March of the Penguins. These parents sit in the Arctic for months at a time, huddled around. It just looks miserable, but just so that their little uh, unborn kiddos can actually have a shot at life. And they just put their life and limb and they put themselves out on the line in the most extreme conditions so that other people can experience life. And I look at that and I'm like, you know what? Now that is love. March of the Penguins, great love story. What a love story. I want to aspire to be like that, risking one's life for the sake of another. There's something about that that resonates with our very soul, our spirit. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like that. And it seems like everyone's in agreement that love is a good thing. It's worth aspiring towards this life of sacrifice. A life marked by risk. A life marked by selflessness. We're like, yes to all that stuff. Yes to love. I want to sacrifice. I want to pour myself out for others. But... What really challenges our thinking is when we're asked to actually take that same philosophy, that same approach, and direct it towards a person or people group that we don't particularly like or understand. For some reason, the direction of the love that we've been invited into is the thing that challenges us to the core. And yet Jesus says, this is actually supposed to be the thing that differentiates us from the world. Like, that's what it says in Scripture. Like, love, everybody is going to agree, yes, selflessness. Like, I get, like, I want to actually be for those things. But how we direct it, that's what differentiates us. This is the thing that makes us different. This is the thing that's supposed to confuse people outside of the church so much. They're supposed to say, yeah, Christians, like, I've heard of them. I know they meet on the weekends. They sing songs about, like, the blood of Christ. I, I don't really get it. It's a little confusing. They're a little bit weird. But, go, oh, man, those guys love people like crazy. I don't understand everything that they do. Honestly, I listen to some of the stuff, and I, I don't know if I can fully get on board, but those guys know how to love people. If you put a person in front of them, they love them just relentlessly. They just go after them. It doesn't matter if they agree with them. They're just going to love them. That's supposed to be our calling card, what we're known for in this world. Yeah. That is the thing that we've been invited to do, and yet it doesn't seem like that's our legacy at this current state in the world. That's not really what we're known for. I think we're, we're more known for judging people who aren't like us than loving people who aren't like us. And here's why. Because loving people that, are not, or, or, that aren't like us actually costs us something. You know, our God is always inviting us to risk. 
I know some Christians, uh, they, they, they get saved and they're just like, you know what, this is going to be great. Life is going to be so much better now. I got God on my side. The sails are going to be full with the Spirit of God and it's just going to be open doors from here on out. But that's not what Jesus is inv- or interested in. Guys, we need to understand Jesus is far more interested than, in your calling than your comfort. He's actually preparing you. He's stretching you. The love that he invites us into isn't supposed to be a comfortable, God, or a comfortable life or a comfortable love. God is interested in stretching us and growing us. And so love, the love that God invites us into is, is always going to be a risk because it requires nothing in return. In his book, Everybody Always, I, I love Bob Goff. And he just, he just does such a good job of this. Um, and, and he says this, he says, it's easy to agree with what Jesus said. What's hard is actually doing what Jesus did. He said, for me, agreeing is cheap, but obeying is costly. Obeying is costly because it's uncomfortable. It makes me, me, me grow one decision and one discussion at a time. It makes me put away my pride. These are the kind of decisions that aren't made once for a lifetime. They're made 30 seconds at a time. They're made 30 seconds at a time. I think it's so important for us to realize that loving your enemies isn't a decision you make once in a lifetime. It's a process that actually takes a lifetime. But it happens 30 seconds at a time. Maybe you're asking why, because that's how quick we forget. I know enemies is an interesting uh, topic in this day and age. The culture is so different and persecution and all these things that it's talking about look so different to them than it does to us. But just for the sake of this conversation, I want us to just be thinking about who are the people that we do not agree with, that we don't understand, that might not have our best interests at heart. Because these people, these people that, 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 that might just drive us absolutely crazy are the people that God invites us to actually pursue with a love that shows them that they are deeply cared for, and that they are deeply loved. And the thing is, we don't wake up one morning with the fortitude and the strength to be able to do this all at once. It takes one step. It takes one step. I'm going to just do one step. Every 30 seconds, I need to remind myself, I'm going to love my enemies. I don't feel like it. They're really frustrating me. And then 20 seconds later, I I tried, and now I'm kind of failing again. So I'm going to re-up. I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pursue them with everything that I've got. And 30 seconds later, you know what, they're frustrating me again, but I'm going to go after them. I'm going to tell them that Jesus loves them. And then 30 seconds later, I'm going to re-up again. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to do everything that I can to take a small step towards them, to stay in the conversation so that Jesus' love can be displayed for all to see. And I've got a couple simple ideas because this is a process. This idea of start small is so important because we can't just wake up one day and be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. We can't just wake up one day and be the type of love to our enemies that our enemies need to see God. Happens one small step at a time. Happens one small step in the same direction over a long period of time. And I've got a couple simple ideas that that I've been praying will give us some better understanding for what this process actually looks like. And and so the first idea is this. The invitation to love someone is the invitation to know someone. Because here's the thing. You can't truly love someone unless you know someone. Let me show you what I mean by this. I, I think one of the easiest ways to think about this idea is through the lens of gift giving. 
And, and this week I was thinking, how could I illustrate this? And I don't know why, but this is what my brain did. It said, it, it said you know what, tell them, like, if you, for some reason, you, if you're in here, if you're at home, if you wanted to get me a gift, why? I don't know, but you just decided, you know what, I want to bless Brian. I want to make him feel so loved, so seen. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is a great illustration for me, at least. I don't know how it is for you. But if you wanted to get me a gift, you wanted to show me love, and you're thinking through, and you're like, okay, I got it. I got it figured out. I know exactly what I'm going to get, Brian. Here's what I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him a vintage Tom Brady, Tom Brady Patriots jersey. It's going to be awesome. Thank you, all God's people said. And you buy it, and you wrap it up, and you present it to me. Here's the honest truth of how it's going to go down. I'm going to smile, and I'm going to thank you to your face. But the honest truth is, I hate your gift because I hate the Patriots, and Tom Brady's the worst. It's just a fact, and all God's people said, amen, and amen, and amen. We could just pray right there and just call it a day, but we're going to keep going. And you might think that you were loving me by giving me this gift. And I love the heart. I love the intention. But for you to truly love me and to give me a gift that's actually going to resonate with my heart. You actually have to know my likes and my dislikes. For you to give a good gift, you have to know what I love. And the more that you know a person, the more that you can love a person. So when Jesus invites us to love our enemies, it's, it's not merely tolerating our enemies, friends. It's actually taking a step towards them, not just being polite to them, but learning who they are, what makes them tick, what their wiring is, what they love and what they don't love. Love requires more than enduring a person's company. It means committing to knowing them. Jesus' invitation to love our enemies is first an invitation to know our enemies. And getting to know people takes time. Second idea is simple. Love requires time. The only way to get to know a person is to take the time to actually hear their story. You know, we think we know a person when we know the opinions that they post or the ideas that they have. But to truly know a person, you have to know their story, not their ideologies, but the story of how they got where they got. Mr. Rogers has, has a favorite quote. A lot of times people say this is a Mr. Rogers quote, but this is a quote that he carried around in his pocket. It's this author named Mary Lou, and she, she said, there's not a single person you couldn't learn to love if you just heard their story. There's not a single person you couldn't learn to love if you just heard their story. And I love this idea of learning to love. Learning to love. It's not a, there's not a person you couldn't love. It's not a person that you could, couldn't learn to love. Because learning implies an active process that you're engaged in. You know, learning to love requires time. It requires energy. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And it happens 30 seconds at a time. I don't really want to, but I'm going to pray to God every 30 seconds. God, give me a heart for this person. Give me a heart. Give me an interest. Give me a desire to get to know them so that I can love them in a way that shows them you. Happens 30 seconds at a time. The third idea is simple. Love requires proximity. Because how can you get to know someone and how can you spend time with someone if you always keep them at a distance? That's why Jesus is always eating with people who are nothing like him. It's not that he agreed with them. It's not that he aspired to be like them. It's that he loved them. He knew that if he could just get to know people, if he could just hear their story and they could hear his, if they could spend some time together, things would start to change. Perspectives, paradigms would start to change and people would start to see the love that's poured out of our Heavenly Father. Scripture says, you've heard it said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may by, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It struck me this week how simple that really is. I think I said this, but it's like intellectually, I, I get it. I think you do too. Love your enemies. Okay, got it. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But how hard is it to actually walk this one out? Sometimes I think that we're carrying these things out when we wrestle with them, but God's actually inviting us to live them out. It starts with a small step. You know, essentially this whole sermon series, this whole idea of start small is about action. It's not about starting small because we think small is better. It's actually about starting small because we think starting small is smarter. We think it's actually more manageable, more realistic. It gives you the best opportunity to actually follow through and do something that would move the heart of God. And nothing moves the heart of God like moving towards people in love, especially with the type of love that's supposed to differentiate us from the world. But here's the issue, friends. I think sometimes, listen to this, like this is the stuff right here. I think sometimes we love the idea of loving people more than we actually love people. Sometimes I think we love the idea of following Jesus more than the reality of following Jesus. And the Bible speaks directly to this in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. I think you can read it along on the screen as well. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Here's what it says. Do what it says. How simple is that and yet so hard. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, I think what the scripture is getting at is, is the fact that I think a lot of Christians and a lot of people in general know a whole lot more of the Bible than they actually apply. Most of us know a whole lot more about love than we actually love people. A lot of us know a whole lot more about sacrifice and this great idea, and we can talk about it. We can riff on it with our friends. We're like, yes, yeah, sacrifice, how great is that? We know a lot more of it than we actually do. And what most of us, I think if we're really honest, if we can have an honest moment, friends, what we, not, what we don't need is just another sermon, another book, another podcast, another notebook to fill with notes that we're not going to do anything with anyway. What we actually have isn't an information problem. We don't need to read one more book. What we need is to take the information that we already know that the Spirit of God has placed in our heart and actually live it out. And this week I was thinking about mirrors. Because in this passage of scripture, God actually compares his word, the Bible, the word of God, to a mirror. And if you really think about it, here's what a mirror actually does. It accurately reflects back to you what you look like. So th this is a regular mirror. I mean, we, we've got all sorts of different kinds of mirrors. We've got a skinny mirror in our house. It's the best, but I'm, I'm talking about an actual mirror. It's supposed to actually show you who you are, reflect back to you what you look like. And in a similar way, that's what the Bible does to us. It reveals, it reminds us who we are in light of who God is. It says, this is who you are. You are beloved. It reminds you who you are. It gives you context in the story. Because if we just look at the world around us, it's really easy to lose our bearings. But we're a part of this bigger love story that God's been unfolding over the last millennia. Like he is just moving this story forward. And we get to find ourselves in that story. And we get to understand who we are and the direction that God's taking us. And so that's what a mirror does and that's what a Bible does. But this week as I was looking in the mirror, I noticed two different things. 
I, I noticed two different things. Here, here, come here with me. So I, I realized the first thing is, is simple, and you guys probably know this. The longer that I look in the mirror, the more that I see. And so if I'm looking, and, and guys, it's not all good news when you look in the mirror. It's not all good news. You know, you see some of these grays down here. I wish I had a little bit more here. I see some sweat. I, I see some discolorations. I see some wild hairs. I, I see hair growing where it's not supposed to and, and no hair growing where I, I want it to. And there's this, if I look down, I can, I can see what I would only describe as a dad bod. <laughs> and, and I told him last night, I saw this, this shirt on Facebook that I want to get. It says, it's not a dad bod, you're a father figure. And I've really been holding on to that. I feel like that was alert, a, a word from the Lord. But uh, if I look harder, I can see that these pants are a little tighter than they used to be. And, and COVID hasn't all been kind to me. But, but then I realized the second thing. Looking in the mirror doesn't actually change anything that I see. And so I can look and I can see all of these things that might be wrong with me. It, it, I, I can use a mirror. And, and if I were, for some reason, to have something stuck in my teeth, we'll call it spinach. If I had spinach, which makes no sense because I don't eat salads, but if I, had, if I had spinach stuck in my teeth, the job in the mirror isn't to get the spinach out. It's actually to give me the perspective so that I can get in there and dig that sucker out. And if I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see and I, maybe I need to get out and get more active and, and lose a couple LBs, the mirror's job isn't actually to get me more healthy. It's to show me, to reveal to me what it is that I need to actually work on. It's, it's meant to show me what it is, and reveal to me what it is that I need to work on. And here's the thing, when it comes to Scripture, friends, this is why this is important to us. When it comes to Scripture, this matters because I think sometimes we misunderstand what the Bible's supposed to do. Sometimes I think we think the Bible is supposed to make us better. If we could just get some more time in the Bible, maybe I would start getting better. Like it's this book that magically changes people, but here's the truth. The Bible doesn't always change people. It shows people what needs to be changed, and it's actually the application and the living out of the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit, 30 seconds at a time, saying, Lord Jesus, will you actually enter into this moment because I'm getting convicted when I'm reading these words, but I actually need to go live them out for it to change me. It's the loving people, not reading about loving people that changes people. It's the same idea that we see in Psalm 119 when David describes the word of God as a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I love that scripture. It's, it's so beautiful. But, 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 but here's what you need to know. Just because there's a conviction in your heart doesn't mean that anything's going to change. You actually have to do the work. And, and if you're thinking about a light into my feet and a light into my path, which is to say that you could use the word of God to reveal the path and show you the snares in front of you, but shining the light at where you want to be isn't actually going to get you there. You actually still have to step. And God's, God's light will reveal the snares, but you still have to step around the snares. It's not going to step for you. You know, reading about loving people isn't going to love people. You actually got to love people. Conviction to love people doesn't actually love people. It's, it's a reminder. It's God's reminder for you to say, Lord Jesus, 30 seconds at a time, will you empower me to go love people? You actually have to take a step of faith, my friends. You know what? It doesn't matter how much of the word you know, it actually matters how much of the word you do. 
You know, I'll be honest, I, I, I don't really care if we, we leave here this morning with, with like a, a really rich and deep newfound understanding of this, this scripture that we can stick in our back pockets. What I care about, what, I'm, what I've been truly convicted by from the Holy Spirit is, man, what are we actually going to do with this? You know, sometimes I think we get into this thing where we say, hey, great message, Pastor. Really hit me in the heart with that one. We got to get out there and start loving people. You know what, Pastor? I'm going to be thinking about that all week. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. Don't think about it. Go and do it. Say, Pastor, that one was for me. You know, I really feel convicted. I'm going to have to wrestle with that one. Don't wrestle with it. Yes, I, I guess wrestle with it, but actually go and do something with it. Or else what are we doing here if we aren't spurred by one another, if we aren't inspired by the Spirit of God to actually go out and love people, then what are we doing? I don't want to put it in my back pocket. I want God to empower me to love people in a way that they can see Jesus. And my prayer is that you would too, but it doesn't start all at once. We have to start small, 30 seconds at a time. This is against my nature, but God, I know this is your nature. So would you empower me to do your nature so that I can be a healing presence in this world? We're missing the point if we think, you know, I'm going to go home and wrestle with this. I'm going to read another book. Friends, I think we know enough. If you know that Jesus saved you, that he died and he rose again, you know enough to get out there and start being uh, an actual conduit of beauty and joy and love in this world. The problem isn't an information problem, it's an application problem. Scripture says, whoever intently looks into the perfect law, this is the scripture, that gives freedom, that's what it gives us, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, doing it, they, they will be blessed in what they do. So not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, there's, there's a practice that needs to happen. And there's a blessing that happens when we do. You know, there's a blessing when we do scripture instead of merely knowing scripture. God wants to bless you. God wants to meet you. God is inviting you to take what you know and actually turn it into what you do. And, and, and when we do that, I believe there's something that actually happens through this process of loving our enemies. There's something that actually happens through this process. I don't think it's random. I don't think God is just inviting us to love our enemies because it's a hard thing that you need to do. I think there's actually a bigger story that God's trying to tell through this. So, so stick with me. Here, here's my idea I want to leave you with. So if, if loving our enemies isn't merely tolerating, it's not merely being polite, it's not merely just being kind to them and waving and, and choosing to eye roll later as opposed to in the moment. If it's bigger than that, if love requires an actual knowing, if I want to give a gift that actually penetrates their heart and actually resonates with their soul, I have to know what they love. If love requires knowing, if knowing requires time, because how can we actually get to know somebody if we don't spend time with them? We actually need to prioritize these relationships and be genuinely interested in their hearts. If, if spending time requires proximity, because how can you spend time with your enemies if you always keep them at a distance and never sitting down around a table and sharing a meal? And I know that's a little different in this season because we can't share a meal the way that we used to. But, but, but for the sake of this thought, if you're sharing meals with your enemy, if you're getting to know your enemy, if you're hearing your enemy's story, here's my question. How long before that enemy is no longer your enemy? How many conversations where you're, where you're swapping stories, where you're understanding where they got where they got? I'm not saying there's not differences in opinion. I'm saying how many meals do you share with somebody with your enemy before they're no longer your enemy? 
I'm asking the question, what if Jesus isn't merely telling us to love our enemies? What if he's inviting us to make our enemies our friends? And I know that's audacious. I know that's radical. I know that seems just almost impossible when you think of the people who just frustrate you and you don't understand what makes them tick. But if God's inviting us to know our enemies and love our enemies and spend time with our enemies, then what if he's actually inviting us to, to have a perspective where we start to understand, we start to be changed and our enemies become our friends? Wouldn't that just be the most beautiful? Wouldn't that be just like Jesus? To take people in different camps with different ideas and different ideologies and making enemies into friends for the glory of God. And so as we close, I just have two small steps that I want to encourage you towards. You know, uh, in this series, we're trying to at least have one, one point of action that we actually take together because, again, this is about action. And, and so this first step is really simple. Again, it gets difficult when we're talking about enemies because the context is so different. But if you just think about people you do not understand, people that you do not like, people that uh, actually, uh, when, when you see what they post or when you just see their face, it just ignites all the wrong things in your heart. Scripture says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so during this next song, I'm going to have the worship band come out and we're going to actually sing this song. It's all about risk. God's a God of risk. He's not interested in your comfort. He's, in, he's interested in, in your calling and inviting you into risks so that you can be actually um, seen as the faithful God that he is. So during this next song, what I want you to do is I want you to take a risk and I want you to actually spend some time praying for somebody, whoever it is that God puts on your heart that you do not see eye to eye with. Somebody that you do not agree with. Somebody that just actually like makes you angry thinking about them. I want you to pray for you or I want you to pray for them. And here's the thing I want you to pray. I don't want you to pray that they would change. I want you to pray that they would meet and encounter and that their faith would be deepened in Jesus. I want you to pray for their well-being because sometimes our prayers for other people don't change their situations. They change our own perspective. So during this next song, can you pick somebody? Can you say, Lord, who is it that you want to put on my heart? And would you pray for their well-being? Never once pray, God, would you change them? Pray, God, would you meet them? And then the second small step I want to take, or I want you to take this week, is to take a step towards somebody that you don't understand. And I know that's kind of broad, kind of ambiguous. I had something, or I wish I had something that was just so practical and let's do this. But, but I feel like there's so much space in here for you to invite God to say, who is it, God, that I can take a step towards? And, and I think it's these people, so oftentimes we want the other person to take the first step. We feel wronged by them and it's like, well, they have to take that first step. But what if we were a people who knew, knew that our Jesus took a first step towards us and we actually extended that same grace to others? What's a small step that you can take in loving your enemy this week? I want you to consider that as you're praying for your enemy during this song. And I just want to take a moment and pray for you. Would you stand up though? We're going to sing as soon as this prayer is over. So Holy Spirit, God, would you guide our thoughts? Would you guide our prayers in this moment? God, where we seek in the context that we're at to apply this scripture, God, that we know that you, have, that you have put in front of us, God, is not just a challenge for the sake of challenge, God, but that you want to restore relationships. You want to shift paradigms. You want to show people your love. And God, we are the conduits. We are the people who are supposed to take uh, an invisible God and make him visible to the world. Scripture says God is love. Show us what it looks like 
to be a loving presence, to be love, God, in our relationships to the people we don't understand. God, as we sing this song, would you inspire our hearts? Would you empower us to take a step of risk, to take the first step? Because we know that's what you did for us. Holy Spirit, we love you. This is all for you. We pray that you would be glorified and honored in this space. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.